Welcome to the Green Shoots podcast by Appleyard Lees, a conversation about IP focused on the issues, challenges and stories relevant to those who create and manage intellectual property. In this episode, we're joined by trademark attorney Cherry Shin and trainee patent attorney Jonathan Foster. Cherry and Jonathan talk about their journeys into the world of IP. How did they come into the legal profession? To what are the requirements for training as a patent or trademark attorney? Cherry and Jonathan, over to you. Thank you, Charlie. Thanks, Charlie. My name is Cherry Shin, and I'm a chartered and qualified trademark attorney. I've been working in the IP field for just over four and a half years. So for one year, I was an IP administrator. For just over two years, I was a trainee trademark attorney. And then as part of my job, I also do voluntary roles. So I'm part of Careers and Ideas, which is a part of IP Inclusive. This is kind of a not-for-profit organization where we seek to raise awareness of IP jobs to people who might not be aware of what IP is. I'm also a part of a group which is called UK and KR, so Korean IP professionals. This is a job where people who are interested in Korea or have been involved with the country Korea or have a background as a Korean, where we all get together and just go for food or discuss important IP matters related to Korea. But yeah, Jonathan, do you want to talk a bit more about yourself? I'm I'm Jonathan Foster. I'm a, a trainee patent attorney, sadly not qualified yet. And but hopefully <laughs> I'll become a, a European and UK qualified patent attorney. I've been in the IP profession for just over three years now. My first role in IP was in the trainee role I'm in now. I'm also on the CEPA Informals Committee, which is the trainee arm of the Chartered Institute of Patent Attorneys. I also sit on the Early Careers Member Group of the Institute of Physics, and I'm on the advisory board for a mental health charity called Jonathan's Voice, who are raising awareness and trying to break down stigmas of mental health within IP and postgraduate researchers, and through them work closely with IP Inclusive with organizations such as Careers and Ideas, like the organization Cherry was talking about. So I think we'll begin by talking about what is IP? We'll give you a brief introduction into what it is. We'll also discuss kind of what a trademark attorney does, what a patent attorney does, and talk about kind of the training routes, how we got into it, and give you a bit of tips and kind of identify the skills that you'd need to get into the profession. We work at a firm called Appleyard Lees. We've been around for over 150 years, and we specialize in IP, so intellectual property, So we're historically a northern firm. We started in Halifax first, and now we've become more of a national firm where we have offices in Cambridge, Leeds, and Manchester as well. So to take it right back, IP, for those who don't know, stands for intellectual property. And then under that umbrella term of intellectual property, there are various different intellectual property rights. And those are patents, trademarks, designs, and copyrights. Intellectual property, as the name suggests, it's a form of property. So in other words, it's an intangible asset, which is something that you can't physically grasp, but it has value just as any other form of physical property, like a house. So this means that you can enforce it, you can transfer it or sell it or license it for a profit. So that's kind of how intellectual property all ties in together. So the first one I'll probably talk about is trademarks. Trademarks can be registrable or unregisterable rights. They're basically the face of a business. It protects the branding of a business. 
And a very brief definition of what a trademark is, it's a sign which designates commercial origin of a good or service. A patent is the the legal right to exclude others from using, making or selling your invention. They last up to 20 years in the UK and you obtain these rights in exchange for disclosing to the public exactly how your invention works. So the list of things you can patent is very long. It's basically things, I'm doing air quote marks, things that have a real world benefit or real world positive effect. They can be machines, computer programs, medicines, compositions, chemicals, you know, the, the list goes on. Copyright is what we call, in the UK at least, an unregisterable right. So this is something that arises automatically without you having to apply for a copyright application at an IP office, for example, provided it meets the thresholds or requirements that are outlined in the Copyright Patents and Designs Act. So copyright protects all types of different works. I guess it's quite broad because it can protect, for example, paintings, a piece of music, videos, or even sculptures. So because they're unregistered rights, they're a bit more difficult to enforce as opposed to patents or trademarks, which are registrable rights. This is because you have to prove the ownership of the copyright. There's just a lot of more documents involved in that. So because of this, copyright issues can be complex or very expensive. So we do advise in relation to copyright, but this is fairly uncommon compared to the other rights we just discussed. Designs can be both registered and unregistered rights. And designs protect the aesthetic appearance of how something looks, the shape of things, the design of things. And they differ from patents in that where patents have a technical effect or they have to bring some sort of benefit, designs are purely aesthetic. All IP rights, they kind of overlap to a certain extent. And the reason why there are so many categories of IP rights is basically to allow people to protect you know creations of the mind in different manners so I think that's why there are different categories but they all fall under the umbrella term of IP. I think going back to the fact that they overlap Jonathan we were speaking about potential kind of commercial business that might delve into all four categories of IP rights. Yeah absolutely so Cherry and I banged our heads together until we came up with the most imaginative company we could think of which <laughs> in the end was Vazazarus a very exciting sounding company. So Im- imagine that, that there is this company, Vazazarus, who sell, design, manufacture vases. So for example, that company could try and obtain a trademark for their company name, Vazazarus. They could also try and register a trademark for names of specific vases they sell because their brand designates origin from their company. They may also be able to get design protection for the shape of any of the vases that they make or the pattern of those vases. And this is because the shape is an aesthetic creation. Now, say the company comes up with a vase that has some sort of special filtration system in the base. That company could try and obtain a patent for this vase with the filtration system. Along with all this, the company may have copyrights in their website design, in the the layout of the website, the text within the website. So as you can see from from this, from Vases R Us, IP is sort of far reaching and comes in a lot of different shapes and sizes. 
I think that highlights the fact that although me and you are in different fields, so you're in the patents field and I'm in trademarks and designs, we tend to have the same clients sometimes. We overlap in that sense where I could refer you work or you could alternatively refer me work from your patent client because they might be interested in protecting the branding aspect of their business as well as their kind of technical inventions and the technology behind their business. Yeah, absolutely. That that interface is really important, I think, to IP and how you view intellectual property as a whole. Yeah. So now that we've given a very brief introduction into what IP is and defined those IP rights, Jonathan, do you want to discuss more about your background and how you got into being a trainee patent attorney? Without wanting to ruin the the magic and allure that I, I wanted to be a patent attorney ever since the, the day I was born, that <laughs> it may shock and surprise some people, but that's not 100% true. I did a, a physics with nanotechnology degree. Before that, I actually applied to dentistry. What what I've wanted to do has has changed throughout the, the course of my life. So I, I did a physics with nanotech degree at Leeds University. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I kind of thought I'd want to go into academia or industry and do some kind of research. I then heard about the patent profession in my third year in a professional skills talk and thought you know that sounds that sounds quite interesting when it came to the end of my degree I I started a PhD which I then left after 18 months because it wasn't the career for me I applied to a, a variety of different roles a few patent attorney roles and then also quite a lot of software engineering or general general tech roles I guess what's important to say is that to become a patent attorney you have to have a STEM degree of some sorts. So that was something I obviously found out about in in third year when I was told what a patent attorney was and how you have to have this STEM background, which is science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. So at that point, I was in a a good position to to decide to be be a patent attorney. But I don't think anyone before they go to university know they want to be a patent attorney. So it's almost a bit serendipitous to have this STEM degree and then want to maybe move into the legal sector but kind of keep touch with with science how did you get into to become a a trademark attorney I know you mentioned that you started off in in slightly different roles but what led you to there so I studied a humanities degree so that was French and Spanish and I studied at UCL I loved my life in London I loved UCL but I didn't really see myself working within the field of languages after I graduated university. So towards my final year, I started job searching. Like Jonathan, I was looking for graduate roles in like a very wide um, variety of firms. And I happened to stumble across a job ad which advertised that you could work in the legal field, but also use your language skills. In particular, this was Korean language skills. I was brought up in a Korean household, so I could speak Korean fluently. And that's kind of how I applied. And having got the job and kind of been working in the IP field for over four years, I realized I just really enjoy it as opposed to my time in languages. Going back to the requirements of being a trademark attorney, so usually it is preferred that you have a background in law. So for example, you might have the LPC or the GDL. For me, I only had a modern languages degree. 
So that was a bit different, but it's not an absolute requirement that you do have to have a law degree to become a trademark attorney. Although there are some kind of minimum requirements once you do become a trainee trademark attorney to study a bit more. Shall we actually talk about the training routes once you have successfully got a position as an IP person? So for trademarks, first of all, I had to study for two years. So that was one year at uh, Queen Mary University of London and then another year at Nottingham Trent University of Law. And this was two years of studying in parallel with working. So I would usually go down on weekends or spend a week in London or Nottingham to receive lectures and you do this quite frequently. It could usually be every once in two weeks or it could be every once a month. So you have to receive these two years of studying alongside training at your work, two years of training. And usually the firm that employs you will fund your studies, which is great. And in total, you're probably expected to pass around 10 exams during these two years of studying. People tend to space this out. So maybe you do one year of training, one year of studying, another year of training, and then another year of studying. Or some people might like to push themselves a bit more and just do it all in two years. Um, I believe I did mine in three years. So I took a year to train. And then I did two consecutive years of studying. If you do have a law degree or you are already qualified as a solicitor, you might be exempt from some exams. Jonathan, do you want to talk a bit more about the patent training route? As a trainee patent attorney, you've got these two concurrent training routes running at once. So one is to become a chartered UK patent attorney and the other is to become a European patent attorney. So in the UK, there are five foundation exams that span patents, international patent law, English law, trademarks, designs, and copyrights. Instead of those five exams, you can also alternatively do a university course. So they're either at Queen Mary's University or Bournemouth, and there are some others, and they get you exemption from the the five foundation exams. After those five foundation exams or the corresponding course you then have your four UK final exams so for reference I've done my UK foundations and I have passed one final and sat two of the others so we're we're well well on the way in the UK on the European side of things you have one what's called the pre-EQE pre-exam and then you have four finals exams so the the patent training route takes some time The, the quickest you can qualify is three and a half years most people probably take between four and six the reason the minimum amount of time is three and a half years is because you have to have been training under a european patent attorney for two years to sit the pre-exam so basically to become a patent attorney you have to sit up to 14 exams or you could reduce that down to sort of seven or eight depending on which courses you take and if you get exemption from some by passing the europeans before the uk's so that's that's the route the long and winding road I mean, it sounds very tough, but um, one thing I want to kind of stress here is that usually you get a lot of support from your firm. For example, at Appleyard Lees, we have mentors and you'll definitely get a lot of support. I mean, I can think of so many people at my firm that helped me when I was studying. So you will enjoy it. You'll meet new people along the way as well. So when I studied, I got to meet a lot of people who were in the same position as me at different firms. So that was a great experience in itself. So 
in terms of where to apply, it's just a case of looking out for vacancies or just applying speculatively to different firms. Some IP firms will have graduate intakes in September or you know periodically throughout the year, whereas some will hire ad hoc when they want to hire someone. Other places will like never advertise, but will hire. They like to say we would always hire the right candidate. So it can always be worth spe- sending speculative applications. Just obviously make sure you tailor those applications to each of the places you're applying to. Now, I don't think there's anything guaranteed to not get you a job than sending a cover letter with the the wrong firm's name on it. So just just not that I've done that. I don't think, but um, just looking out for applications like that, basically. So for trademarks, at least, you can look on the SITMA website. So that's the Chartered Institute of Trademark Attorneys, and they'll have lots of job postings there. Um, You can also find paralegal jobs there as well. And even LinkedIn, lots of LinkedIn jobs are posted on there as well. One thing that we did want to mention is that the application process for IP related training contracts, for example, is a bit different to the traditional solicitor route. So normally, I believe it's more common for the trainee solicitor route, you have to apply two years in advance before you start. I think the IP profession, it differs from firm, as Jonathan was saying, but usually we would kind of employ people as and when we get their applications or as and when we're looking. So there's less of that kind of time pressure. But because IP is such a niche area of law, it's slightly different to the solicitor route. I guess it's less kind of uniform in that sense because all firms are so different. For example, for trademarks at least, Appleyard Leads, we like to receive emails from potential candidates um, seeking work experience. We might spend a few days with them, see how they work, what they're like as a person, and then the kind of dialogue kind of goes from there. I know other firms, as Jonathan was saying, they might do yearly graduate intakes at a certain time. So really you have to do your own research and look at what each firm is doing. Again, look at what type of clients they might be working with. A lot of that information will be available online. So make sure you just do your due diligence and really just show an interest in the firm that you're applying for. Cherry, do you want to talk a bit about your day-to-day job and the types of clients you deal with and what your work actually entails? Yes. So as a trademark attorney, no day is the same. I could be working on a contentious matter, for example, an opposition in the morning, and then I'll have a new client call in the afternoon talking about their trademark portfolio and prosecution work. So it's all very varied, all very different. And I think that reflects kind of the type of clients we work with as well. So trademarks are more commercial. So we would work with any type of business, whether it be, for example, a stationary production company or an infrastructure electronics company. I think recently we had a new inquiry for some cryptocurrency, which was really interesting because that's kind of hot at the moment. So the variety of clients that I work with are, is really wide. Do you want to discuss kind of what type of clients you work with and the nature of your day-to-day role, Jonathan? So obviously, training patent attorney, I work with patents. So a lot of my job will be drafting patents, which is the initial writing of the patents, drafting the claims, which lay out your scope of protection for your product. If the patent office is deemed that the patent 
isn't allowable before they reject the patent they will then allow you to go to oral proceedings so basically go to the patent court the uk intellectual property office or the european patent office and i don't want to use the word argue but discuss with examiners why you think the patent should be granted and they will discuss back how they think it is or isn't patentable that's how you go through the the process of patenting something and then you might have post-grant things like oppositions or or even work like licensing and assignments people passing their assigning their patents to different people or licensing it out so that sort of commercial aspect so it's really wide-ranging in what you actually do the type of clients I work with, and I know this applies to Cherry as well, ranges very small to very big. So the type of technology you will work on is determined mainly by your background. So patents is typically split up into three, and this is very broad stroke, sectors, one being physics, mechanics, electronics, engineering, software, anything like that. It's obviously a big category. One being chemistry and one being life sciences. Again, very broad, but they are the three kind of sectors you would typically fall into. So I do a lot of mechanical work, anything related to physics, and I also do some software and starting to do AI type stuff. The nature of your job is just really cool because I think you work on drafting these specifications for clients who haven't released their technological products to the public yet. So the fact that you get to see all of this text and interpret it without really seeing the product itself is amazing. And the fact that you can see this before anyone else can is also really cool as well. You've got that really nice combination of the legal sort of city job again i'm doing air quotes that you cannot see city job legal side mixed with that technology in the forefront of science and i think that's actually what drew me to the job in the first place and is what keeps the job interesting now as well yeah absolutely i think that's a a great point that you've just pointed out um and i think a lot of people don't really realize how commercial ip work can be it's very client facing it's very exciting So to conclude, training to become a patent or trademark attorney can offer an interesting and fulfilling career. If any of our listeners have questions about a career in IP, you can find me, Cherry Shin, or Jonathan Foster on LinkedIn. Thank you for listening to the Green Shoots podcast by Appleyard Lees. If you're interested in finding out more about becoming a patent or trademark attorney, email us at recruitment at or follow us on Twitter at Appleyardlees.